0: that regardless of where we are born, what dialect we speak, what church we go to, what political movement or party we support, we are all one, we are all Assyrians. And I think I am so happy to have experienced that back in Urmi.
1: Welcome everyone to episode 53 of the Assyrian Podcast. My name is Adessa and on this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with the founder of Shamita Media, Miriam Shamalta. I've known Miriam for years since my time in San Jose, California, which is where she resides, but it was fun getting to know her on a more personal level. She's arguably one of the most known Assyrian media personalities of our time, given her breadth of involvement with Assyrian media. In this episode, we discuss her time in Udmi, the Netherlands, before then later settling in the United States, and what life was like growing up in each of those parts of the world. We also talk about her journey into media, What led her to create the Assyrian media platform Shamedia Media in 2017, and her plans for the company as well as herself. Support for this podcast comes from Tony Kaligarakis and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kaligarakis. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publications and has obtained multiple multi million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847 982. 9516. Support also comes from John Oshana with HomeSmart International. Whether you're thinking about buying or selling real estate in Arizona or California, put John's proven track record to work. John's focus is residential, multi-units, and commercial properties. Check out John on facebook.com backslash John Oshana Realtor or Instagram at john.oshana. That's O-U-S-H-A-N-A Oshana. Contact him at 209-968-9519. And without further ado, here is Maryam Shamalta. Maryam, I know that you were born and raised in Urmi and then eventually made your way to the Netherlands and then into the U.S. To go back to the beginning. We hear about Urmi all the time, and so to be able to have somebody who was born and raised there, could you paint a picture about what Urmi is like for someone like myself who has never visited but has heard so many wonderful things? Uh, This
0: is a great question because, honestly, I've traveled a lot, I've seen a lot of countries, a lot of cities, but Urmi remains the most beautiful city in the world for me. I mean, Urmi is much different than here. Uh, you've been to Atra, Assyria. You can kind of compare it to that side. But, I mean, if I go back to my childhood in Urmi, I am very blessed and lucky to have had the opportunity to be born and raised there. It's a beautiful city. Of course, I was raised, born and raised in the city of Urmia itself. Mm-hmm. But my parents are originally from uh, Tekya Erdeshai, the village of Tekya Erdeshai. And they moved to the city of Urmi uh, in the late 60s. And how far away are those from one another? About 15 kilometers. Okay. Uh, So our village was 15 kilometers from the city of Urmi. And of course, there are many villages that are closer to the city of Urmi and also a little further. But the surrounding the city, there's a lot of Assyrian villages. They were all, there were more Assyrians in these villages uh, previously, of course. But, you know, there have been a lot of atrocities, etc., and a lot of people Uh, fled the country so they unfortunately these villages are a lot of them are empty or only a couple of people living in there right now so if i go back in city of urmi i went to school to a catholic assyrian school uh, also named mariam all assyrian girls of course there were girls school in the islamic republic of iran all assyrian girls all assyrian teachers until high school actually and I started from kindergarten, actually, I still have some friends after 30-something years that I went to kindergarten with them back in Urmi, and they live now in San Jose, and we still celebrate birthdays, we still
1: celebrate friendships with them.
0: How special. That is very, very special. How was the
1: setup like in terms of schools in Urmi, and how hands-on or hands-off was the government when it came to setting up like religious-based schools or schools for Assyrians,
0: I was born after the revolution. I can only speak about after the revolution. We had schools set up for Assyrians, Mm -hmm. one for girls, one for boys. Mm -hmm. And we, of course, we got to learn the curriculum that everybody else was learning in the other schools. At the same time, we had the freedom of getting religious classes and also Assyrian language classes offered once a week uh, we went to those classes as well so for as long as i remember the government and the state they cooperated to these schools Mm -hmm. and they were just the same as any other school but all assyrians which was amazing actually Mm -hmm. and if i go back i mean as i mentioned i was born and raised in the city of urmi but we still had my grandparents' home in the village of takia And actually, that was my favorite place to be. So on the weekends, which was Friday in Iran, and in the summer for a couple of weeks, we would go there and stay there. And I would go with my father to his apple orchards and just walk around, eat apples. I mean, I was all about the village life, and I loved being there, and I loved seeing my friends there. Um, That I really missed, although I wasn't born there, but for some reason I was so attracted to it. So... I'm glad I was able to experience that.
1: What was it like in the village? Was it just acres and acres of land? Were kids able to just like roam freely? And were there just fruits and vegetables and plants everywhere? Like this is a, usually how I hear of it when people talk about their stories of, yeah, back back home. So all the villages, they had an area where all the homes were, Mm -hmm. and also
0: outside the area where the homes were, were, were orchards. And every household owned their own orchards. So that's actually how it was. So, but it was very safe. As a you know, young kid with other friends, we would walk outside the area where all the homes were to go pick apples or grapes or to just go play. And we also had an area that I, I, I just, I, I wish I could go visit one more time. In the middle of our village, Tekya, in this case, because Tekya and Dishai are two different villages, but they're walking distance from each other. So my parents are originally from Tekya, but Tekya and are actually a combination village, let's mm. say. In the middle of the village Tekya, we had marsori church and around that area we had a volleyball field and some grass and we would be able to gather there play there and until late at night in the summer we would just kids be there but I mean my older brothers would be there and my older cousins and you
1: know it it was just great to be there what year is this that we're talking around so this is um in the late 80s late 80s 80s, early 90s yes so you mentioned that all of this was happening after post-revolution yes did anything in that Urmia area change after the revolution or did that still remain relatively untouched territory
0: from what I remember that remained untouched what changed was that all women had to cover their head and I did too I mean I was 5 years old when I started going to Mm -hmm. kindergarten I had to cover my head because at
1: school we all had to do it regardless if you were Muslim or not so you have to even if it was a school of all Assyrians aka all Christians you still had to do it, it was just the law it was the law, yes it was the law and what I
0: remember hearing was the name of some of the streets were changed into more of Islamic names, for instance. I mean, people complained about a lot of things, but I couldn't relate to it because I wasn't there to understand what it, how it was like before. before. Oh, yes.
1: Okay, that's interesting. When I was reading the French magazine that you were recently featured in, the Nineveh magazine... You were mentioning that you got involved in the Assyrian community there at a young age. So how old were you? I was about 14 years old when I started my community involvement. And was that... 14 years old is like so young. I think about 14 year olds. I think about when I was 14 years old. (laughs) I wasn't thinking about getting involved in Assyrian activities. Was that common around your age? Actually, it was not common at all. I mean, I uh, was pretty mature
0: for my age and... I started having this interest. Now, years later, I understand why. Because honestly, I believe that God chooses us for his callings, And he was preparing me for what I was going to do later. So I believe that our life is planned. And God knew that I was going to leave the country, that I was going to come to the Netherlands, I was going to come to the United States. So Perhaps God wanted me to experience my community work back in Urmi before I would leave there. So this was not common. I don't remember any of my classmates that were my age were involved there. And everybody else was actually older. For instance, Rachel Youssefian, the president of the Western American Association of San Jose, she was one of the older girls back then. Not old, I mean she was probably 18 or 19 years old when I started my involvement. She was one of the active um, youth there and everybody else was around her age or older. I was the youngest. So you I remember young this, was, this <laughs> was not common and I think as I said I believe that God was actually choosing me to do something later and also I am very very thankful that my parents would support this. My mom would take me there, drop me off of course my mom wasn't driving we would go with a taxi, she would drop me off she would never say no you can't go or I mean that that was big for me. That was a huge support in whatever I was doing back then. Did you grow up in a Umtanai household? Yes and no. My my mom, my mother is very Umtaneta. My father, of course, the family setup is different in Iran. My dad was working all the time outside the house, and my mother was with us raising us. She was not working as. Perhaps at that time, 99% of mothers were stay-at-home moms. So I I heard a lot of these um, umtanayis stuff from my mother. Not because my father wasn't interested in it, perhaps, but because he was outside the house all the time. Mm -hmm. And our mother, I remember, she instilled this in us. Back in Urmi, what I also loved was that My dad is uh, from a Catholic church. My mom mom is from the Assyrian Church of the East. We actually grew up in both churches. We went to both churches. So my mom taught us from the young age, whenever somebody would ask us, what church do we belong to? She told us to say, we are Christian and Assyrian. Actually, Assyrian came first. We are Assyrian and Christian. And nobody had the right to ask us what church we belong to. So that actually stayed with me to this day. I remember and I thank my mom because that was a very, very, very important message that my mother delivered at that time to us. So yes, I grew up in an Umtanaya
1: household because my mother is very Umtaneta. When you started to get involved, was there an aha moment? Was there something that sparked in you that was like, okay, yes, this is, this is my time. I would love to get involved in, in the Assyrian community.
0: You know, there is one very important experience in my life that I always remember and I keep repeating it. I've repeated this in many interviews. When I was actually 14 years old at uh, Mutva in Urmi, we had a graduation ceremony for hundreds of students. And they needed an MC for this event. And I'm 14 years old, of course. Rachel Yousafian, I mentioned her, she was there and she said, Mariam, you're going to be the MC for this event. And this is the morning of. <laughs> and I said, Rochelle, no, I cannot do this." She said, "Just try it. I will help you." She wrote down some words that I could begin with, and then she said, "You just go up there and you just say the names and they will come and get their you know, graduation certificate or whatever, and they will. So that moment, I think when Rochelle encouraged me to go on the stage and I mean, the audience was probably five to six hundred people. That moment was actually, if you call it a spark, and I was standing there, I'm like, yes, I can do this. If I can get through today at this young age, I can do anything. So I'm capable of doing anything. And I think that was a very, very, very important moment in my life and, and my nationalistic work for my people
1: so it really took someone who believed in you and your potential Mm -hmm. for then you to develop that confidence and also knowing that yes you can do it and you are
0: capable of it absolutely absolutely and years later actually rachel yosefian years later she believed in me one more time because in 2013 she was the one who discovered me for autor tv's uh, tv program I had Which no, was for the Shotaputa. Puta. Shota Puta so, yes, yeah. yeah, Syrian American um, Association of San Jose. So years later, she believed in me and she pushed me to do it. I had no idea I would ever be able to do hosting. So years later, she believed in me again.
1: She pushed me. And that was another, of course, important spark in my life. So at an early age, you started to become very familiar and comfortable in public speaking. And that has sort of transpired throughout your life. Mm-hmm. And it started from that one person who believed in you. Yes, That's absolutely. Amazing. What was it like to grow up as a youth and be involved in the youth community? Like, what were the activities that would happen in, in Urmi? And what would the youth do? I
0: mean, we would have uh, graduation ceremonies. We would have Khabnisan events, Mother's Day event. Um, and these were all run by youth? Uh, by, well, not only youth, okay. but... Mutva in general, but there were a lot of youth involved as well. Mutva in general at that time. So we would have all these, we would have plays and singing, all kind of events. Sports was a part of a very important part, especially I remember there were sports activities organized for girls actually at Mutva, And I'm talking about 25 years ago, which is a huge move in a country that is not known to be very liberal right and
1: open about activities for girls and women in Urmi I can imagine that it was a combination of people that were coming from whether them or their parents that were from different villages that were in the surrounding areas was there ever talk when you were growing up in youth uh, of like oh your family is from this village your family's from this village or being able to pick out different accents or anything like that? Was there any of that there? I mean, that would happen all the time. Okay. But in a nice way. We were in a friendly way. We wouldn't
0: be discriminating because somebody has a different accent. Of course, there's some villages, as soon as they start talking, we would know, oh, you're from this village. Or, I mean, like our village has a different accent too, for instance. I mean, yes, we had that growing up. But the, the beauty of it was that we were all one.
1: Regardless, and that... So it wasn't to out anybody. It was just no. to show that there's diversity in this, but we're all Assyrians.
0: Absolutely, and that is... I think that has been so important because to this day, to this day, Edessa, I try to practice this. That regardless of where we are born, what dialect we speak, what church we go to, what political movement or party we support, we are all one. We are all Assyrians. And I think I am so happy to have experienced that back in Urmi at a young age and realize how important it is and how powerful it can be when we do not pay attention to these minor details, but the
1: whole picture. Amen. That's it. I know you done. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but you, I mean, you bring up such an important point. Like, it's important to understand the things that unify us, which is that, yes, we come from all of these different parts. We have different backgrounds, different churches, different upbringings, no matter what it is. But we are all Assyrian at the end of the day. In between Iran and the U.S., you lived in the Netherlands for some time. So, Urmi seemed like such an amazing life. So what what led you to to make the move to the Netherlands? Urmi was amazing. There is no place
0: on earth for people who are born there like Urmi. It had its limitations as well. I mean, it's still a third a third world country, Middle East, war torn for many years. So it had its limitations and Actually it was in the early nineties that my older brothers decided to leave Iran and they both went to the Netherlands. And that was actually I mean, escaping Iran wasn't easy at that time and that was What was that like? For us it was easy, but for my brothers wasn't because you can't legally just leave the country. Mm-hmm. So you have to go to Turkey and then from there try to go to a European country and seek asylum. Mm. And at that moment, one of my brothers left, as I said, in early 90s. And the country he could get to easily was the Netherlands. And my second brother followed. And a couple of years later, actually, my parents decided to
1: leave as well to reunite with the entire family. And that's why we left um, uh, Urmi. Wow. So from the time that your brothers had gone to when you then were reunified reun- with them, how long was that? Four years. Four years. Yes. Four and years. what was that like?
0: I mean it was a terrible time for me because I I was I am very very close to my brothers although they're much older than me you're um, the youngest of the I'm the summer. youngest yes but they were actually not older brothers they were my they are still my best friends I was very close with them so seeing them leave was very hard for me especially because you know you realize that it's not going to be easy for us to just travel there visit them and come back We may not see them for years. It was a very, very difficult experience. But my parents, of course, were very supportive. We were all very close. And also, what was amazing about Urmi is that we have a lot of cousins, uh, friends, aunts, uncles. A large and very close, serene community, which really helps in these times. And almost every family had somebody that had to leave. Yeah, That wasn't
1: with them for the holidays or for Christmas, etc. So it was common. When you ultimately came to the Netherlands, you're entering a new country, totally different than Iran. I can describe it as the biggest cultural shock you
0: can ever imagine. You leave an Islamic country and you end up in one of the most liberal countries in the world. Um, It was very hard. It was absolutely very hard. Thank God my brothers were there. I had my parents, but we did not have friends Assyrian friends Assyrian cousins was there Uh, an Assyrian community there at that time A very small Assyrian community but when we just had arrived we didn't know anybody we only knew my brothers and a couple of other people so it was very hard not speaking the language was very very hard
1: I spoke a little bit of English but my parents did not speak the language at all not even English were there times that you or anybody in the family was like we should go back.
0: You know, there has been a lot of times that my my father wanted us to go back mm-hmm. but then he would say, well, our whole family is not together. Mm-hmm. We should just stay mm-hmm. we should stay we shouldn't go back. I know it's hard, but if we go back, m- uh, my sons are going to be here and a part of family back mm-hmm. home and it's going to be very hard for us to get out again. So we we stayed there and later I realized that, I used all the opportunities that that country offered me to become actually
1: a better person. So it was and hard. what were some of those opportunities?
0: They took very good care of us. We were refugees in the Netherlands. Um, they took very good care of us. I went to school there. I had actually I finished high school there and then I started studying in the university people are very very friendly Mm. Uh, they I mean the Netherlands most European countries they pay for your school and they pay you to go to school I remember I was 18 years old and I really wanted to start I wanted to be independent I wanted to make my own money I wanted to start working and I told my parents and my brothers they were all shocked they were like, no, 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 you're not working. How much money are you going to be making per week? We are going to pay you double that amount and we don't want you to go to work.
1: That's a very common experience. Exactly, (laughs) exactly.
0: So I went to McDonald's. I applied for the job. I did the interview and I got accepted. And I came home. I told my parents, I got accepted. I am starting to work and they were all really shocked they were like no you can't do this why would you do-? i said i want to be independent i want to go to work and i think i would have not had that opportunity back in iran if we had remained there and I, starting to take responsibility at a young age of course it shapes you into a different person more independent more responsible etc
1: so you were, at that time, you were going to school and you were also working. Mm-hmm. Did you finish university there? Yes. Okay. I, I um,
0: got my bachelor's degree in economics in the Netherlands. Yes. Very nice. And so what led you to economics? You know, <laughs> that's a very interesting question. <laughs> of course, it was very hard for me to go to high school in the Netherlands because the Dutch language is one of the most difficult languages yeah, in the world. I can imagine. So, And of course, the first year and a half, we did not have, um, let's say um the the permit to stay in the country so we didn't know if we were going to be able to stay or we had to leave so we were living in these refugee camps in different cities throughout that entire year and a half but i was going to language classes i was taking language classes and for as long as you are not actually accepted to stay in that country you couldn't go to high school or to university Um,
1: so it's just this limbo time yes
0: exactly but thank god we 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 heard that we could stay there after a year and a half. And then I did a test. I started high school and I had my dictionary with me all the time. All the time. It was so hard to go through high school. And I was older. I was probably... When I finished high school, I was 20 years old. Mm. Uh, because I started later. Uh, I mean, I had a break of a couple yeah. of years in the Netherlands. And in high school... The best subject in Dutch language for me was economics. Hmm. And I became so interested in this topic. I loved it and I had the highest score always. And of course, my parents are like, you have to become a doctor (laughs) or a lawyer. There is no other way. Economics, moila. Economics, (laughs) moila. And um, I had to take certain subjects in school, of course, to be able to go to med school or to become a lawyer later. And I, at some point, I decided to drop those subjects and take more economics. I would prepare to study economics. And I remember my mom, she was like, she flipped on me. Mm -hmm. She's like, no, you cannot do that. You are very smart. You have to become a doctor or a lawyer. No, you cannot go study economics. I said, mom. I really love economics and I want to study economics. This is my best subject and even my teachers are telling me I should continue mm-hmm. this path. It wasn't easy <laughs> to get through that, but finally I convinced them that economics
1: was my thing. So. Numbers. Yeah, numbers. <laughs> uh, I know. I think, so. yeah, for people that appreciate numbers, they always say that numbers won't won't do you wrong. Like, there's always an answer yes, and everything no matter what. Absolutely, absolutely. How many languages do you speak now? So you're in the Netherlands. At that time, before you went there, did you only know, uh, you knew Assyrian and Farsi? Farsi and Turkish. And Turkish, because okay. Because Urmi is an Azerbaijan area, which everybody speaks Turkish. And then Dutch and English. I speak five languages. Wow. I mean, I know in the U.S. they encourage people to at least be able to learn two languages. English and then they they teach whatever, you know, languages Mm -hmm. are as an option in in high school. But five languages is very impressive. Thank you. Something about being able to see you on TV, whether it was through Autra TV, through A&B, through Shamira Media, is... Being on TV isn't easy. Like we were talking about it earlier, the thing with podcasts is you're only focused on voice and tone. But TV, you have to think about so many things. You have to think about the backdrop, you have to think about appearance, you have to think about body language, what you're wearing, and then also what you're saying, your delivery, your tone, all of that. So does that come easy? I know that you're saying that at 14, you you started to get practice in the public speaking realm it looks easy on TV. Is it easy?
0: <laughs> now it is. Okay. Now it is. But it wasn't in the beginning, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I started five years ago, 2013, November, th- five years ago. It wasn't this easy. I, I would pay more attention to detail or what I'm wearing or how do I look? How do I sit? And at first it wasn't easy and I was more focused on the appearance of myself and my guests and the the background, etc. But now actually I'm much more easy and I focus on the content of my interview and I make sure that the lighting is good that the um, uh, sound is good if these two are good and we are captured on camera correctly and the content is good that's what I focus on it's okay if my hair doesn't look 100% perfect or I mean I'm not I, I don't get my makeup done I just do a regular makeup like I would do I go to work every day so things like that. It's easy now, but it wasn't easy. And I think it's with everything. Yeah. Everything you start doing, it's not easy at first until you learn the techniques
1: and uh, a lot of other stuff around it and it becomes easier. Yeah. And anytime that I would listen to you, I know that you make a concerted effort to use Assyrian words whenever possible and not use borrowed words, even if they are more common to say than... Assyrian words. So talk to me a little bit about the thought process with that mm-hmm.
0: Keeping our language alive is actually holy to me. It's my duty It's something that I think I think about every single day and my interest in our language If we go back to Urmi, it started back then. Mm-hmm. I had my la- Assyrian language teacher, Rabi Shumun He's 87 years old now. He still lives in Iran I remember his le- every every of his every time we had to take a lesson from every week and I I remember also that I was more interested in learning and remembering words and pronouncing words correctly than any other student in the class yeah. so this is something that is within me and I think I'm born with it and I as I said it's a calling you have to do something and I believe that we all together have to work on keeping this language alive. It's so, so, so important to to be able to remain who we are in the world by speaking our language and teaching it to the next generation. I sometimes myself, when I when I'm having a casual conversation, I use a non-Assyrian word, which is very normal. But when I'm speaking on TV or in my media, I try to use correct Assyrian words so that some people may catch it remember it, learn it, and start using it. That's what I did too. That's how I became better in the Assyrian language. I listened to other interviews, other speakers, other lectures, other poems. I looked up words, I memorized them, and I tried to use them in my next interviews. That's how I became better in the Assyrian language, and I'm hoping to be able to deliver that to other people who are watching, to the next generation of Assyrians. I know sometimes people don't understand the words I'm using, but I encourage them to actually ask me or ask somebody else around them, message me, tell, ask me what that word means so they can actually learn it and start using it or teach it to somebody else. So I wouldn't say I do that on purpose, but actually it is very important to me that I speak so-called clean Assyrian on my media, in my
1: interviews, etc. Yeah, what are some resources that you use when you're trying to look up a word?
0: A lot of times I use Rabi Tobia Givergis' dictionary. I have that. It's an um, English to Assyrian translation, which is very helpful. But I like to lo- use multiple resources before I actually decide to use a word. At this point, a lot of these words already come uh, to me, mm-hmm. I don't have to look up a lot of words. Yeah. It wasn't like this in the beginning, yeah. obviously. But I use Rabi Tobia Givergis's book for sure. And I also use Assyrian Languages, language.org. .org, yeah. I really like that. What I also like about it is if I want to know what an Assyrian word means in English, I can type it actually there and it will tell me the English mm-hmm. translation of it. So that is a great resource. I really like using that. And also, uh, com is another resource that a combination of many dictionaries. I like to use that too. So when I'm looking for one word, I use all three. Use multiple
1: sources. Multiple sources to make sure that I'm actually using a correct word. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. So our listeners that would like to improve their vocabulary, those are some great resources. I think as well as being able to listen to Mariam's interviews, (laughs) being able to take out some things or just a word and how it's referenced and what context that, so that it's easier to gain practice of when to use that particular word. Mm So I think you do a great job with that. Thank
0: you, Edessa. And this is something that you have to be interested in. If you're not interested, you will never learn it. For instance, I was speaking about my first Assyrian language teacher. I I still talk to him sometimes on the phone. And the first time we spoke after probably 25 years, and I said, you know, thanks to you, today I have my own show. I have my own media. He said, don't thank me because... I had hundreds of students, Mm. but many of them are not doing anything with it. So that means that we have to be interested in the language to be able to actually learn it. And we all have to become interested
1: because it's a gift from our ancestors and it's a holy language. Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a tough thing that we're dealing with nowadays is a lot of people, especially those that are born in Mm. the diaspora, outside of the middle east outside of these like really deep concentrations of assyrians that assyrian is being spoken as a second language as opposed to first and sometimes when people are so far removed from it it's hard to convey why it is so important, but it is a unique piece of who we are. And I have respect for whoever doesn't speak the
0: language for any reason. I mean, there are many reasons that people don't speak it or understand it anymore. And I must say that not speaking the Assyrian language for any reason, if you're born here 40, 50 years ago, or your family weren't speaking it, or you were living in an area where there's no other Assyrians, that doesn't make you a less Umtanaya or Umtaneta. We have amazing uh, activists, nationalists that don't speak the language fluently but they're doing amazing stuff for our community and for for our land but as you men- mentioned it is a, an important part of our identity so if we can keep it alive
1: it is just amazing right and I mean I think the argument can be made to that we're not asking anyone to go from zero vocabulary to a thousand in a day but I think as the years go by there's more and more resources there are Assyrian classes, there are Assyrian classes online now. So Mm -hmm. there are opportunities for people if they would like to learn it, that they are there. So... You've mentioned a few of them and... Uh, yeah, we have virtual Assyrian language classes, for instance, now
0: offered by Robbie Nina Blamasu. Yeah, I mean, that's great. You can join whenever you want yeah. and they are paid classes, but if you can't afford it, you don't even have to pay. I mean, that's an amazing resource for somebody who wants to learn the language. And I actually know some people that take, that are taking those classes and they are fluent in the Assyrian language. They just want to refresh their, yeah. their
1: uh, knowledge. Yeah. I know that language, speaking our language, language preservation is very important to you. It's, it's very evident. And um, you make a point of it with all of the shows that you have that it's in our language. At the same time, I've seen recently that there's been English subtitles. So I can imagine that's been at the request of people who wanted to to be able to understand. So talk mm-hmm. to me a little about have you gotten requests from people and how did that ultimately lead you to to want to expand it and include that in the videos yes we received many
0: requests especially because shamira media is actually focused on the new generation of assyrians and many of them do not speak the language fluently do not understand our show so i received a lot of requests from different people to add subtitles to our shows and actually i sat down and thought about it and i was like this is an amazing idea if we can make it happen it would be great of course it's it's very difficult with the limited resources and the limited financial resources that Shamira Media has to be able to subtitle every single video Mm -hmm. but fortunately I have found some amazing people that are working for Shamira Media right now and translating and subtitling these videos but yes we received many requests and actually I was very happy that people were requesting this That, that means that They are actually very interested in watching them regardless if they speak the language, they don't understand it 100%. And also, this offers them an opportunity to learn the language. So when they read and they hear a word, they can go back to the subtitle and say, oh, this is what it means, so I'm going to start using it. So that is one way of Shamira Media Uh, in helping to preserve
1: the language it's true yeah I remember my mom would say like before she came to the U.S. that she learned some English because of movies that she would watch that would be in English and so I think being able to see these Assyrian videos and then even more being able to see the subtitles and what they mean in English then is able to help a person improve their vocabulary absolutely 2017 comes and you create Shamira Media so walk us through how an idea became a reality. Prior to that you were involved with auto TV and then A and B and then what led you to ultimately decide that you want to have this media outlet and it's gonna be called Shemiran Media. As you
0: mentioned, I was uh, I was doing TV shows and also working for an Australian TV station up to September 2017 when I made a career change and I started working for a high-tech company. So I had to take a break from media. A couple of weeks later, actually, I was sitting down and thinking about, okay, what can I do? I mean, I honestly, Edessa, believe that my media work is my contribution to my community. My umtanaya work towards my community and and i was thinking about what can i do now because i'm not going to sit and do nothing just because i made this career change so i thought about continuing my show at on my own in my own time whenever i had time not on a weekly basis you know my own resources if possible so that came up in me to continue the show and I mean, also, I got a lot of feedback from a lot of people that did not see me on TV or on social media for a long time. Why did you stop your show? Why aren't you doing your show? So that's when I decided to continue held at Tayuta. And then, of course, if I wanted to continue Held at Tayuta on my own, I had to establish an entity that would own the copyrights to held at Tayuta. And... Everything just came from God. Honestly, I prayed and I said, you know what, God, show me the right way to do this. And one day I was sitting and talking to my friend, Gloria Maseko, actually. She's a very um, successful Australian entrepreneur and a businesswoman. And I said, Gloria, you know, I need to, actually, I want to continue my show and I need to establish an entity that will own the copyrights to my show. And I really want to establish something, actually. I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you know, why don't you just establish an LLC, a company, and, you know, you could do more things in this company. I was sitting there having lunch and I said, oh my God, this is a great idea. And because Khalid Atayuta is going to be the first show in this LLC, we could actually name it after one of the strongest Assyrian women in the history, Shamiram. And then the media later was decided, whatever. I mean, I went back and forth on the name for a couple of weeks. So that's actually how the idea of Shamira Media started. And after I established it in November 2017, I actually thought, why don't I just expand it? Do more things in this media. The more media we have, the better. Each of us are doing something different. We are not competing with, yeah. with each other. We are doing our own work and people can choose who they're watching or who they're not watching. I decided to actually expand our programming and do more things, more interviews, not just held at Tayuta And Later came agyariate And, of course, I started working with other people, some other people from different countries, Australia, Atra, uh, Chicago, Arizona, Los Angeles, started doing shows for Shamira Media. That's how, actually, we expanded our programming. And I think our most successful show was Agyariata, actually, that started in 2018. So that's actually how the idea of Shamira Media came along. And I did have some fundamental Values with establishing Shamira Media that I I will keep that in mind every single time I'm delivering a program is that I want it to be open to all. As I mentioned, we are all the same. We are all Assyrian. We may have different dialects, born in different countries. It does not matter for Shamira Media. We are all one. Second is that I want to be able to actually offer a platform for this new generation of. Assyrians and diaspora, which are actually vanishing, which we are actually losing. That's why I call it a new generation of Assyrian media focused on our youth. And I think about it every day with delivering the programs. How can I attract them to our media? Of course, as I mentioned, my resources are limited, but I am not planning on doing something big. I am doing something small with a lot of love and passion and that's what is important. Not how many shows I, I have per month, how many views I get per month. It's about quality in every single show that we deliver. Also something that will stay on our YouTube channel for decades to come, for generations to look back and say, oh, we had this person that was very successful, we had this author, we had this po- uh, uh, poet, etc." Yeah are all archived things that people will
1: be able absolutely to go back and to, that's yeah. what
0: I love everything that we publish on Shamira Media it goes on our YouTube channel I mean Facebook we don't know how how long it's going to be here and how mm-hmm. the content is going to be uh, saved on there but you, we have YouTube there and it will be available the fact that I in 20-30 years some young Assyrians can go search for what we are searching now, we are going now, for instance, Malfona Naim We were looking for him. I wish, I mean, they had the opportunity to interview him decades ago. Yeah. But now we do have that opportunity. Yeah. Now we can actually archive are amazing
1: Assyrian men and women for future generations. When you went from that idea to actually deciding to create uh, a company around this, were you scared? Well, I was not scared, but I knew it was not going to be easy
0: Mm -hmm. because in everything you start, within our community or outside the community, everywhere you will have people who will love you and people who will hate you. And you have to be prepared for that, especially when you are doing something publicly. You are a public figure. People know you. You speak publicly about women's rights or the rights of our people or whatever. You will always have lovers and haters. You have to prepare for that. Yeah. I was not scared, but I was worried about the amount of work that I had to do for this company to actually maintain it. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love coming home from work and spending hours on editing a video. Yeah. Coming home from work and making a flyer, making a, a Facebook post, or looking up some stuff that I can post on my media. So I love it. And I, I instead of doing some other things that other people enjoy, I enjoy this. And I, I want to do this. And I'm really hoping that to make it more sustainable, to make it stronger, I am hoping that more People will come and join Shamira Media and will do interviews or help us in any way they can possibly can because maybe this is their way of giving back to the community and Shamira Media is open to all of them. That's good to know. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely, anybody if he hears us and they want to be a part of Shamira Media, I would love to hear from them. I mean, we have currently, which actually really encourages me. I was able to actually hire two young Assyrians that are fluent in Assyrian, fluent in English, one of them was recently graduated from a university in, in Nohadra, they're actually doing translation for Shamira Media. And my goal with Shamira Media is to empower Assyrians. This is my motto, empowering Assyrians. When I am able to use the money that I get from my sponsors and have somebody in Assyria do the translation and subtitles for me, and I pay them for their work, That is empowering Assyrians. That's the biggest reward I can get out of this work is I offer them a job with my limited resources. They may not have been able to do this if, for instance, Shamira Media
1: wasn't there. So I'm empowering them. There's two really cool things that you say there. One is that... Uh, I think often one of the critiques has with the Assyrian community is often we're doing things and it's always voluntary, always voluntary. And yes, people are willing to do it mm-hmm. voluntary, but how much better is it when you are incentivized by like something monetary, even if it's something little? It doesn't have to be something big, but that kind of thing is important. And I think we need to figure out ways. And people have said this. I'm you know, I'm this is just a repeat, but how important it is to figure out ways in which we can compensate people for their time, their efforts and what they're doing. The other thing is that to go back you were saying that this is your contribution. Like you and your involvement with media is your contribution to the Assyrian nation and I just wanted to say like that's such an important thing to be mindful of because each one of us has talents that we can then contribute to our nation. I think sometimes when things like ISIS happens, when, when invasions of Iraq have happened, when so many different things have happened in our history, we look to ourselves and we look at ourselves of this like ho- sense of hopelessness of, I want to do something, I don't know what to do. But I think it's important to take that step back and be like, let me look at what I have in me And what am I able to deliver? And what contribution am I able to deliver to the nation? And so I think it's so important that you've been able to realize that even if you took that short break to be like, okay, I know my purpose. And I know that this is what I can do to Mm -hmm. positively contribute Mm -hmm. to the nation. Mm -hmm. So, Mm
0: -hmm. And it takes a lot of... I mean, it's a big commitment to volunteer for an organization. I mean, I volunteer my time to Shamira Media. Everybody else who is involved, most of the people, I try to somehow compensate them so I can hold them accountable for the project first. Second, to encourage them to do more. Third, to empower them actually financially to be able to, even just a small amount, to do something for themselves with that money. To feel the same way I started working at McDonald's when I was 18 years old and I felt independent and financially secure for some reason, I want to give that back to other people within my community. And it's a huge commitment that we make. I volunteer per week, maybe five to seven hours, maybe sometimes 10 to 15 hours when there is Khabnisan coming, Christmas coming, I need to prepare a show. It's a huge commitment and you have to take a step back and say, what can I do? How much time can I commit? Even if it's just half an hour, even if it's just an hour, for instance, right now, I'm looking for a volunteer. I'll be posting it on social media. Looking for a volunteer that will help Shamira Media an hour per week to uh, manage our mailing list. Mm. I am sure there's a lot of people out there that will be able to do that. Their contribution may look very small, but when we are able to actually distribute, videos to hundreds of people with one hour work per week maybe even less we are actually delivering a huge
1: contribution to this community yeah very true so any listener Absolutely. <laughs> listening joining us, is interested in doing that, <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of different ways to be able to get involved with you should they be interested in, in doing so. Absolutely. What is it like to take it from a business to actually going and interviewing people and all of that? Like what's behind the scene? What is stuff that people don't see on the screen? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what people don't see, it's, it's I mean, I talk to my guests, I go meet my guests in person if possible, I ask for their biographies, I study their biography, I prepare the questions, send the questions to them. So this all is a lot of preparation. I sometimes drive to Turlock or whatever to go meet them before I interview them. So that drive, the gas, everything, I mean, it's, it's, it's a dedication. I mean, right? It's, it's something very small, but I do that and people may not see that. And also arranging an interview, everybody is busy. People live in different cities. I mean, there's not that many people that are are left here that I can interview or in Central Valley. So sometimes I have to fly to Los Angeles to do that. I fly a couple of times a year to Chicago. I take off from work. Sometimes I'm paid time off to be able to do that. So those are things. And then I have to fly. And sometimes, I mean, the financial contribution of the sponsor is not enough. And I have to you know, buy my ticket out of my own pocket and things like that. I mean, luckily, I go in Chicago and stay with my friend, Marina Benjamin. That is very helpful, so I don't have to spend a lot of money on accommodation. Uh, Those are things that people don't see. And also, uh, when we deliver half an hour interview, we spend about three to four hours on driving to the location, setting up, interviewing, tearing down, driving back to the house. And then we spend about... 8 to 10 hours on importing footages, synchronizing them, editing them. So there goes a lot of work goes into half an hour interview. It's not just we record and we air. So these things people sometimes don't see. And also, I mean, social media, you have to keep it active all the time. I mean, I have to spend about half an hour a day on making new posts, doing things like that. And I could spend that on going out to dinner, going, uh, spending time with family, doing other things, going to the gym, reading a book. But I choose to, chose to spend that at Shamira Media. And I, I think it's, it's good for people to understand not only what I do for Shamira Media, but everybody else who's involved and in any other organization, like yourself, for instance. So it is important for everybody to realize that When we are working for a certain Assyrian organization, we are actually putting a lot of effort into it, regardless if it seems like that or not. Mm -hmm. Everybody is working very hard, very, very hard. And I think people need to start realizing that. And not only realizing that, but also realizing that everybody out there needs help. We can't rely on a couple of individuals within our community on doing all the work. Our organizations need people. I mean, yes, we can't ask people to volunteer all the time. But I think if every single Assyrian, I've said this many times and I will say it again, every single Assyrian volunteers one hour of their time per week, one hour we will be in such a better place as a whole community worldwide our our organizations will be filled with members and events etc just one hour per week everybody can think about it and everybody can do that
1: yeah absolutely and sometimes people go into the situation of again i don't know how to contribute but looking at the things like if you're in if you're in the tech space how can you contribute that to to the Assyrian community if you're in media if you're in radio television like there's ways that you can get involved in that or whatever or whatever it is so one Absolutely. hour a week <laughs> and you know what
0: people who are actually involved in different organizations we can help them explore their opportunities yeah people can approach me and say Mario how can I help the community and you know what sometimes they've approached me and I've said this is what I'd be like to do and I refer them to a different organization mm. I've said this is what you need to do. I don't think you're a good fit for media. Mm. And it's perfectly fine. Explore your opportunities and talk to people. And also, if you don't have time to contribute, what I also think is very, very important is that we as a whole community in the world, about 75% of us lives in the diaspora, and we are capable of giving back financially $5 a month to a humanitarian organization of our choice or to a non-for-profit of our choice. If you sum that up, that's a lot of money that can go into our organizations. $5 a month, it's two cups of coffee, Starbucks coffee, regular coffee. Yeah. Honestly, if we have to start small, yeah. an hour per week, $5 a month, that's how we will make a big difference together. But. If only 10 or 100 people contribute one hour per week, it's not going to be enough. They have to contribute 10 hours a week and they will be burned out and they will leave these organizations to be able to maintain, sustain all our organizations, all our activities and to grow as as a community, we all have to contribute somehow. Yeah,
1: we do. Going back to Shamira Media, Agiriyate. That has been something that's been very original. What motivated you to start those videos with Adil? Yeah, so Agiriyate or Adil's idea, as mm. an idea in the first place.
0: Adil had this idea for a long time, but he uh, didn't m- meet or find anybody who he thought it would be a good match for him to play Agiriyate with. So... Um, After I started Shamira Media, I traveled to Chicago to do some interviews. And while I was traveling there, this was the second time actually I was meeting Adil in person. So we met through mutual friends at the the gathering and he said you know, I have this idea of a show and I think I want to name it Agyariate. It's like a marital issues between husband and wife and I think you will be great at it. How about, you know, do you want to hear more about this? I was like, yeah, for sure. And then he told me more and he had already prepared topics. Mm. He had been thinking about this for months. He had this idea. So he, he talked to me about it in January of 2018 and I really liked the idea. I thought this is great because... I am never afraid of bringing up controversial issues. I think it's very important that we start bringing those up as a community. Enough is enough. We live in a 21st century. And I wanted something, as you mentioned, original, different for Shamira Media. I mean, that was an amazing opportunity. So we did actually uh, two practice uh, shoots and we showed it to our friends and they loved it. They loved it. So I came back, of course, to San Jose and we said, well, we will plan on recording 20 episodes in the next couple of months when we have no idea. Mm-hmm. Finally, after months of planning, we were able to record in April of 2018. And I believe we started in June of April 2018. So this idea was ideals, and I think it has been... Um, the most amazing idea for a show at Shamira Media so far. People are loving it. We receive a lot of feedback from people who are actually relating
1: to these topics, giving yeah, I was us new say, ideas. What kind of feedback do you get from people? I mean they relate
0: to them. I mean Hundreds of people relate to each and maybe thousands of people relate to every single topic. And we chose topics that are actually really, really important that we have to shed the light on them. Uh, So we receive a lot of positive feedback. People are loving it. They are giving us new ideas. And we actually take notes of the ideas because we do want to produce something that people want to see, want to hear. So we have recorded twenty new episodes. Oh, nice! <laughs> yes, we. I went back to Chicago in November of two thousand eighteen because we needed to record some new episodes. Actually, we weren't sure if we were going to do that, um, but we said, "Well, people are loving it, and we have to. We have to continue this." So it wasn't easy. I mean. Adil took off from work. I took off from work. I flew to Chicago. It was a snowstorm. I got very, very sick afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. Uh, 20 new episodes premiering March 6th. I have uh, great news that we will be airing an episode of Agariata every single week. And all the Agariata will come with English subtitles again. So it's a lot of work that goes into it. Something Um, for everyone and everyone
1: can enjoy absolutely
0: absolutely so adil ilbron and i ilbron Petrasi, of course he does the recording and editing for us he's 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 amazing very helpful as well so all three of us actually work for months on preparing the 20 episodes and a lot of work goes into it but the feedback we receive and how it's actually affecting the community in a good way um we are actually absolutely loving it and i think yeah. Even if I stop doing my media work, I think after these 20 episodes, new episode of Agariata, I'll be actually happy to say, you know what, I'm done. I want other people to come take over.
1: (laughs) Well, you two have such great chemistry. You both have such great acting skills and... I would love to see Agriyate extended into even bigger shows, like how so many people watch the Turkish TV shows and everything. (laughs) I would love to see an extension of this to something like that. But of course, it requires a lot of work. A lot of work and a
0: lot of financial, big financial resources to do that. And I I mean, I never say never. You never know. We might be able to do that. You never
1: know. So that's with Agriyate. Something that you've really shed light on is a Syrian woman. Why is it important to shine light on a Syrian woman?
0: Well, because Assyrian women are amazing.
1: <laughs> yes. I can't, I can't disagree with you on that. Sorry, Assyrian men. I, yes. I,
0: I never, I never in this my whole empower woman empowering adventure or or career, you want to go, whatever you want to call it. I have never said that you know men are not as amazing as our women, and they're not you know. I mean, I, right. I don't do that. So right. because my woman empowering movement is not feminism. But it's, I want women, Assyrian women, to realize how capable they are, Mm. how amazing they are. We are born leaders. We can actually lead our organizations, make them grow, not alone, alongside our men. We are the daughters of Mesopotamia, the daughters of great Assyrian empire. We were the first nation who had the queen, and that DNA is in us. And I want every Assyrian woman to realize that. In 2014, archaeologists found clay tablets, 4,000 years old, that women rights were written on them by our ancestors.
1: Really? Wow. That is
0: huge. Yeah. That is in current Turkey, which was a part of the Assyrian Empire, they found them. Uh, 4,000 years ago, women rights and customer service, actually, rights as well, uh, offering the customers the service. Wow. I mean, the countries now we nowadays, we see that in these countries, but yeah. back then, our Assyrian ancestors had that. So I want the Assyrian woman to realize that how amazing she is and how capable she is. Uh, she can actually do so much more. And I think one of the main reasons that I wanted to shed light on the Assyrian woman is that Assyrian woman have gone through so much throughout the history if you look back in the history in late 1800s we had tens of uh, Assyrian women back in Urmi that went to the missionary colleges actually graduated from these colleges they were very educated that was not common back in the day in that area probably it became common in the 21st century in those areas but our women were able to do that but because of the Uh, Seifel, because of the Simela massacre, because of all these other wars, atrocities, she was not able to actually continue her education and I think if we had the opportunity to do that our woman would have been at a very 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 high level. Mm -hmm. My other reason is I want people to get to know, accomplished, strong educated assyrian woman i want them to encourage the next generation of assyrian women to perhaps use them as an example to do what they have done to become successful as well i want every single woman that i i interview in my show to be an example for at least one other woman and that's enough for me that's enough for me and it has been more than that So many people have connected with these women, have asked for their mentorship, have asked for their advice. And that is the biggest reward I can get. I believe that women have to lift each other. I am against any kind of jealousy amongst women and I will fight against it until my last breath. We are able to work together. We are able to lift each other. There is a nice saying. They say a flower does not look at the flower next to it. It just blooms. Mm. And that is very true. We all can bloom in in our own way. We can all become successful in our own way. One thing I want the woman to realize is that another woman's success is not taking away from my success. It's making me as a whole more successful. And when we are more successful, when we are educated, when we are financially independent, doesn't mean that we don't need men in our life. That means we can take care of our family in a better way. We can support our men better we can support our organizations and our families everywhere you can think of when a woman is stronger more educated i mean i'm not saying that education is everything sometimes a woman a woman who stays home with her children raises them into good people is a very strong woman and is a very accomplished woman a mother I mean, per se, is a very accomplished woman. If you can raise kids and raise a family, you are an accomplished woman. I want not. I don't want to take that away from stay-at-home moms or women who have not had the opportunity to go to school because they had to take care of their family. Every single woman is strong, is accomplished, is beautiful in her own way. When she realizes that, she's capable of doing anything. My motto with certain Feminine Power Show was... Every Assyrian woman has the power to change the future of our Assyrian nation.
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to take on the world. <laughs> wow, and that's a very powerful message. But I think that you try to convey that every single time that you would interview somebody. So that definitely comes out. Who in media, and it doesn't have to be a woman per se, but who in media, Assyrian or not, is your biggest influence or someone that you look up to
0: uh i certainly look up to Oprah Winfrey okay
1: yeah And what about
0: her what actually amazes me about her she has a very she has had a very difficult childhood she had a very difficult life she was very poor but she was so strong and look where she is today that means regardless of the circumstances if you want to do something you are capable of doing it i'm not saying that every woman can be as successful as she is but that actually gives me hope knowing that, yes, we have a lot of women in Assyria that are traumatized. We have a lot of mothers that have lost their children. That means that, yes, they still can be strong. They still can have a life. We can help them get up, stand up, and be strong together. Yeah. So I certainly look up to her where she is today, looking back at her, at her uh, background.
1: Perseverance. That's absolutely yes. absolutely yes. absolutely um with agiriate has there been a controversial i mean all of the all of them can be controversial i guess you can say in one way or another but what is a controversial topic that you'd like to take on but haven't been able to figure out how to portray it has there been one
0: Yes, actually it has been one. And I must say that it was Adeel's idea again and I actually agreed that we need to cover it. And it was the disappearance of religion in families.
1: Mm. So disappearance altogether. Altogether. Not that Eta Diur, et just no. religion
0: altogether. Yes, Eta Diur, et we have covered that. Mm-hmm. And I, we thought that was very controversial. It was actually one of the most favorite episodes. But disappearance of religion and God mm. and church in general in the Assyrian households worldwide some Assyrians are atheists we don't want to disrespect anyone's choice Uh, therefore we thought about it but we did not know how to cover it Mm -hmm. to be respectful to everybody's choice so Mm -hmm. therefore we have left it out for now but it is something that we really want to talk about because we see that happening in Mm -hmm. our community yeah
1: that's a, it's an important topic, and I again, I think you're doing something rather than hiding away from these controversial things is addressing them, and it is very much the reality that people are living this, so rather than trying to be hush-hush about these things, I think people resonate, and they might not even reach out to you and say, hey, I resonate, but I'm sure that a lot of times they're feeling it inside of, oh my gosh, yes, yes this absolutely. is so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are the future plans for Shamira Media? And for yourself personally, outside of it.
0: (laughs) So Shamira Media will continue the way it's continuing right now. We don't want to produce a show every single week. As I mentioned, it's about quality, not quantity. We will continue the Agriottis season two. And if we have many uh, requests for season three, we may record additional 20 episodes. I'm sure we will have topics to cover those too. I will continue my woman Empowering show. And uh, as you have seen, I started interviewing non-Assyrian women as well. I want who are actually involved within our community, actually giving back to our community, empowering women within our community. So that is actually a very important move for Shamira Media. You will be seeing more of it in this coming year. And I have somebody else joining me doing some shows from Los Angeles. And I may have other people joining me from Arizona delivering more shows. So I will try to still continue doing my interviews, but I don't want to be the only face on Shamira Media. The purpose is that at some point I just manage Shamira Media, but more people are involved in doing interviews than actually running Shamira Media. So that's actually what I'm hoping to achieve in the future. But I will continue my women empowering TV shows, my other interviews. Whenever I think there is an interesting Assyrian that I need to highlight, I will certainly do that. And also for myself... I actually came we came up with something very interesting in regards to empowering the Assyrian woman. Adrina Alchas Empower Her author is an amazing Assyrian woman, mother of three, very educated, very accomplished, very strong. I look up to her all the way. Her and I actually came up with Assyrian Empower, which is an organization that is focused on empowering Assyrian women through seminars. Wow. So you will be holding seminars in different cities at different organizations and giving lectures on topics that are important in empowering the Assyrian woman. These lectures will be held in Assyrian and English because we want it to be open to people who are fluent in Assyrian and fluent in English don't speak Assyrian and we will give people the opportunity to ask us questions to give us suggestions for future um, lectures and our first lecture will be held on Sunday, April 7th uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the Syrian American Civic Club of Turlock. Uh, we are very thankful that they sponsored this event for us. They're organizing it, so I'm asking everybody to join. And these seminars are open to men and women. They're not going to be women-only seminars, although they're women-empowering seminars. But all the topics we are covering, they men will relate to them as well. So we believe that empowering women doesn't only involve women also men within our community so this this event is free admission we will serve refreshments and we will give lectures on two different topics i'm not going to reveal the topics today and i'm hoping everybody can join april 7 from 4 to 6 so that is something that we are starting in 2019 and i am hoping to be able to at least travel to three other cities after turlock to be able to give give these lectures so this is actually taking women empowerment to the next level and of course we won't take away from other women who are doing these seminars giving back to the community empowering women through different media or in their own way if anybody wants to collaborate with us you would be more than happy to do so so that is my plan that's
1: amazing and what a great way to enrich our community is being able to have seminars like this. Last question is if you had something to say to all of the Assyrians that are listening to the podcast, uh, what is one thing that you would tell them? It's very hard to choose just one thing. but (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um,
0: I want to thank every single one of people, followers, people who have watched my shows throughout the years for their support. I wouldn't have been here without their support. And it's very important to acknowledge that. I acknowledge that every single day. And also I want to thank every single Assyrian woman who has been on my show or has not been able to be on my show, but has supported me and other women in making this show possible and continuing it. And also Assyrian men who have amazed me with their support for this Assyrian woman empowering TV show and movement. I thank every
1: single one of them. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miriam. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far and love what we're doing, hit the subscribe button from wherever you're listening to this and help us spread the word about the Assyrian Podcast by sharing this loud and proud to your circle. Until next week, stay cool.